Well, good morning. My name is Mark Jennings. I am a member here at South Shore Baptist Church and also serve as an elder, and it is in that capacity that I have the honor uh, to speak with you this morning. This is a uh, unique Sunday in the life of South Shore Baptist Church. It's a um, poignant moment. It's It's a time when we sort of set apart and consider the significance of what has unfolded. It's a time when we uh, look at the days that are coming uh, as uh, Cody Busby and his family are joining us as the man that God has seemed to set apart to serve as our shepherd under Christ. It's a time when we remember and consider God's faithfulness. We think of God's faithfulness not only uh, in this past year, past 20 years, but even to the founding of this church around a small kitchen table. It's, a, it's an interesting day. It's an important day for us. Because it's a day when we find ourselves um, remembering, celebrating, and looking forward to the next day. You know, as I think about this past year, as I think about the great unfolding plan of God, uh, there's one emotion I seem to always have, and that is to chuckle. Sometimes you simply can't help yourself. You look at what God has done and you have to chuckle. Because only God does certain things. Only God would start a church in New England, in the south shore of greater Boston, in the cold northeast, if you will, and then decide for 20 years to have a man from Las Vegas, Nevada, serve as her pastor and then send that man to the Middle East so that he could bring an Oklahoman from Kansas in to serve as the pastor and then support him with a homegrown former atheist and a man from Arkansas. (laughs) And do this in a year. Only God would do that. Makes you chuckle on how great our God is. I look at this past year and I see how faithful he has been to us. This past year could have been a time when fear would win the day, when status quo would gain the field, but it wasn't. It was a time when God leaned in to us as we leaned in to him. It was a time of unity, of joy, of anticipation. It was, it was a time when we looked at the great gifts that God had provided us and each other. When I look at this past year, I can't help but chuckle. When Kent Forkner and Dave Como asked me to provide the message today at this uh, uh, installation service, it was an interesting it was an interesting proposal, and I, and I thought about it, and I must confess, my, my first inclination was to think, how could I use this service to best uh, set up and prepare Cody for success? Having served on the senior pastor of search committee, I really do want him to do well. <laughs> so I thought perhaps the best thing for me to do was to make a complete dumpster fire of this message. 
that, that maybe what I should do is begin by citing Facebook quotes, put up a, a picture of my family, string a series of non sequiturs, perhaps make a political comment, an uncomfortable joke, ask you for money, <laughs> and at some point just lose my train of thought. That if I bottomed out this sermon, whatever you did next would look great. Right? So if it seems to go that way, just assume that was my purpose. As I asked around and, and of what one says at an uh, installation service, uh, it seems that there's a general approach. One is to give a word to the pastor and then give a word to the church. And as I settled in on that, that became quite interesting to me. So I would have roughly 30 minutes to tell our incoming pastor how to do his job. And 30 minutes to tell you all how to do your job. This became appealing. Who gets that opportunity? Because let's be honest, each one of us has a list. Right? Each one of us, in some shape or form, have been thinking about what our senior pastor should do. We've been thinking about what he should keep. We've been thinking about what he should jettison. We've been thinking about uh, what direction we can take, what direction we must hold, how we can be this in the future or hold on to this in the past. Each one of us has a list. I have a list. You have a list. We've prioritized it. I've color-coded mine. I'll be emailing it to you. It's alphabetized, also according to expected time frame of accomplishment. <laughs> of course, the problem with such lists is that they are also often married to a high degree of certainty of success. If we only do this, our church would be successful. If we only change this, we could find ourselves making an impact. If we would only become or if we would only return, we have our lists. And these lists can so quickly accomplish the opposite of our intent. With these lists, we can begin to set agendas, set personal preferences. We can begin to take this time period when we should be falling in love with our senior pastor and getting to know him as he falls in love with us and gets to know us. And we can turn this time period into one of recruitment where we become not members of a church but lobbyists of a cause. And so instead of what should be a great and wonderful season, it becomes something Rebald and indecorous, something crass, something vulgar, something coarse. Our lists, our agendas, our expectations, our considerations can become the malignant tumor in the heart of a church. What God has been so faithful in establishing and creating in, in unity through this past year, our competitive factions, our ideas can so easily make us stumble. It can begin so innocently enough with the setting of a list. 
and letting it take root in our heart. So what do I do now? <laughs> Having said that, what do I do now? What words do I say? What do I say to Cody? What do I say to you and to me? If, if I know the danger of a list, if I know the danger of, a, of an agenda, if I know the danger of trying to morph Cody into something in my making, what do I do? Well, when human words falter, God's word usually speaks. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1129. First Corinthians chapter two, verses one through five. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. The Word of the Lord. The church at Corinth was a mess. It was an absolute mess. The, the problem with the church at Corinth is that they were continuing to act like Corinthians. The, the church at Corinth had taken its way of understanding itself in society and imported that into the church. You see, in the ancient Greco-Roman culture, it was all about honor. It was all about shame. It was all competitiveness. The ancient culture was constantly an opportunity where groups would compete and vie for attention and vie for acclaim, would vie for praise in the marketplace. And the, the, the Corinthians are so used to acting that way in society that they imported that into the church. When we, when we look at 1 Corinthians, what we see is a church that is divided against itself, that is warring with itself. We see, we see a group of people that are acting like Corinthians. Paul says as much in his opening comments in chapter 1, where he talks about how he sees that there are divisions among them, that they are dividing over who got to baptize, who was baptized by whom that they're forming factions and competitive groups. And some are saying, I was baptized by Paul. I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas. And others saying, I belong to Christ. Interesting enough, I think that fourth group obviously had the best PR team, right? As they're sitting around going, all right, who should we say? They took Paul. They took Apollos. You know, let's take Christ. Excellent. I mean, they had the best PR team. But realize they were still divided at baptism. They cared about who they were associated with 
in sort of a genealogical tree. This honor, shame, competition, we see it play out. They would honor a man who was having relationships with his father's wife, and they were honoring him. They were using the court system as a vehicle to shame one another and gain advantage. At the Lord's Supper, they would divide under social custom. The the wealthy would have what they want and have their fill and sit on the cushions while the disenfranchised believers would be separated and put into the outer courtyard. They were taking how society told them to act and importing that into church. And indeed, society was also telling them they shouldn't like Paul. Or at least not like how he speaks. He, he doesn't have the, the flourish, the pizzazz. His, his rhetoric isn't glistening with all of the glitter and the entrapments that they wanted. There was something about Paul, his message, and his manner that they found inappropriate. Or at least unpalatable. And what was it? What was it about Paul's manner and message that was causing these socially entrapped Corinthians to cringe? For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul presents the center of his ministry. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, it's important for us to understand how that phrasing was meant. It's, a, it's an idiom. It's a, it's a unique construction where uh, Paul isn't saying, hey, for the past 18 months when I was with you, church at Corinth, all I talked about was uh, justification and salvation and forgiveness. No, that's not how that idiom works. And, and the, that idiom, the way it is, I resolve to know nothing except, means to say, this is where the emphasis is. This is where the center is. This is the main from which all else follows. So when Paul says to the Corinthians, what you are having problems with me, what you are resisting is the fact that every aspect of my understanding of my ministry, every aspect of Christianity, every aspect of how I teach and preach, instruct and disciple and consider stems from Christ and Him crucified. The total vision that Paul has stems from Christ and Him crucified. And it informs not just the great things, but the small things. When he talks to the the Corinthian church about leadership, it comes from Christ and Him crucified. When he talks with them about family and marriage, it comes from Christ and Him crucified. Crucified. When he talks about how a church service should be ordered and considered, it comes from Christ and Him crucified. So, Cody, this is the charge I lay before you that you are resolved to know nothing while you are with us except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When you preach, You preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and you do so with fear and trembling. For on that cross, 
the unimaginable occurred, brothers and sisters. God the Son died. Even more, God the Son received the full judgment due our sins. The unacceptable happened on that cross. Jesus wasn't simply martyred. He wasn't simply a man who spoke truth to power and then was crushed by it. In that moment, all of our sins, the personal sins committed by each of us, the social and systematic sins committed by all of us, were laid upon Him. And on that day, God the Son, the eternal and exalted One, whom all of creation finds its purpose, drank in full the cup of wrath. You know, I hear often someone will say, at the cross, God the Father turned His back on God the Son. Or someone might say, that which was eternally together for a moment was temporarily separated. Let us disabuse ourselves of those quaint notions. God the Father was never absent at the cross. God the Father was fully present. God the Father's gaze was fully upon His Son. But it was in His wrath that it was present. God's wrath was fully present upon His Son at the cross. And creation could hardly bear it. The earth split open. The sun darkened. The great day of the Lord that will happen at the end of history was happening in the middle of history for a few hours upon one man. The day of the Lord, God's wrath was fully upon God the Son because that is what my sin required. And so does yours. God's wrath was present at the cross so that it might not fall upon us. So shepherd us. Shepherd us as one who understands this. Lead us as one who knows that it is not by any cleverness of man that we stand here. Let us see in you, Cody, the spirit of weakness and humility that understands itself, that patterns itself after Christ and Him crucified. All that we do should stream from this, for the power of the cross is so much more than a message about sin and forgiveness. To proclaim Christ and Him crucified means to recognize that it is determined weakness dependent upon God that a church resides. Lead us, Cody, as one who stands, who understands, who keeps this at the forefront. Lead us as one who understands that to grow in holiness is to grow in a manner that exemplifies a crucified Savior. Lead us, Cody, as one who understands that to reach our neighbors means to do so in a manner that resembles a crucified Savior. That we are to walk in humility. We are to be willing to go dine with the disenfranchised, the fallen, the broken. 
we are to be willing to be with those who seem untouchable. We are to remember that we are not without sin and that they are made in God's image. Cody, have us stand over and against the great injustices of our age. Help us to get our hands dirty. Help us to step into the sins of racism, corruption, poverty, sanctity of life, abuse, addictions. Help us to stand against the great injustices of our land with a posture and message that resembles a crucified Savior. Let us not be content. Let us not be content and say that the walls of the church are secure or that we can find satisfaction under these roofs against the storms of the day. Urge us to have the courage to walk in to the winds and to the rain. Let us humble ourselves and be obedient. Cody, teach us that our daily choices in life mean to pick up our cross and follow Christ. Help us to understand that every day we are to die ourselves and we are to surrender before our Lord. That we are to become more like Him. Encourage us that our life in Christ must be something that we are refined each day by the great message of Christ and Him crucified. Help us to see each other as treasures. Help us to see each other as the joy for which Christ endured the cross. Help us to resolve all of our arguments, all of our disputes, all of our desires for personal glory and preferences, all of our prejudice. Help us to resolve all of those in the cross. That we may keep no records of wrongs that we may forgive without limit and that we may love one another. And when the great debates of this age come about, and they will, help us to find the answers and the response, not in a manner that tickles our fancy, not in a manner that is rooted in pragmatics or the ease of assimilation. Bring us to Christ and Him crucified. Cody, as you begin this great task that appointed to you, what lies ahead for this church are unknown to us, but there are no surprises with God. Our church's success and our failures do not rest upon the actions of any single man, but you have been entrusted by your God to shepherd us for a season. I pray that season is decades upon decades upon decades. I pray that it is long and full of joy and strength. But you, like all the pastors that have come before you and all the pastors that will come after, will one day need to stand in the presence of your Lord with the nail-scarred hands and give account. It's my prayer that in that moment you may be able to say to our crucified king for my part I resolved while I was with them to know nothing but Christ 
and him crucified. This is the task laid upon you. But you do not bear it alone. For as you are a gift to us, we are also a gift to you. And so church, in in like manner, our task is not to pursue any agenda or demand particular favors. Our task is to see this moment, this time, when one pastor leaves and another pastor comes, to see it differently than how the world might see it. This is not an inauguration. We are not observing the peaceful transfer of power from one leader to the next. For there has been no transfer of power at all, for the church has never belonged to one man. The church has never belonged to any man, be his last name Evans, Wood, Camp, Rennie, or Busby. The church does not belong to the elders. The church does not belong to the members. The church does not belong to the faithful. The church has always belonged to her king, to her crucified king. And so it seems to us that on this day, we are to remember this. We are to recognize that our crucified king has given to us a man in Cody Busby who will proclaim him and him crucified, who will love us as our crucified king loves us, who will lead us as our crucified king leads us. Cody is no more an expression of our will than we are of Cody's will. But let us see in this moment the truth that the one whom God has placed before us at this time is because Cody said yes to God. Cody didn't say yes to us because it was a good career opportunity. Cody didn't say yes to us because we are just that special of a church. Cody did not say yes to us because he needed to get out of his former church. Cody said yes to us because he said yes to his crucified king. We are not to fold our arms and just say, well, let's see where this goes. We are not to reserve judgment just to see how things play out. We are to trust in the discernment that has occurred in this great body over the past few months. We are to trust that God has appointed Cody to be our pastor. We are to trust that this is his great will unfolding. When you go from here, when I go from here, I need to let settle into the sinews of my soul what it truly means that God has given to us Cody Busby to be our pastor. What it truly means that it seems God has made his will known in this. I need to be committed to that. We need to commit ourselves to the beauty of which we are called, to the faith of which Christ awakened in us. We need to commit us ourselves that we will be a church that exists because of the absurdity of God crucified, the oxymoron that on the cross victory was won, that we stand because Christ was crucified. It is never by might nor by power 
but by the Spirit of the Lord that our faith rests. It is never by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord that our church stands. May it be said of us, dear church, when we stand before our crucified King, that during this season in which Cody Busby led us, may it be said of us that we resolved to know nothing else but Christ and Him crucified. When I think of this past year, and I'll close with this, I think of Pastor Dave's words a few months ago. Dave Como said to us, Stay. Stay. How great it will be to see the blessing at the end of the hardship. In many ways, Dave was speaking to the calling of Cody But these also speak to the great story of Christ. Hebrews 12.2 declares, For the joy set before Him, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When I consider this past year, I see the great and marvelous outworking of a crucified king who loves his church. And I can't help but proclaim that God is good. He is good all the time.